Well, tonight I want to talk to you about, just follow up on that, about how we get tested right now in America. So if you would, let's just join together in prayer, and then we're going to dig right into this. And afterwards, we're going to have a time of discussion here. And if you have any questions, please feel free to send them uh, either through Facebook or Messenger. You can text me at 734 9310111, I believe is the cell phone number that uh, you can reach me at with messages like that. Or you can just text me through Facebook Messenger to my personal account, Dennis Clanton on Facebook, and uh, I'll be happy to do my best to, to address your questions tonight as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And there's not a one of us that are here tonight or watching online that haven't experienced what it means to be, Lord, tried from time to time. There's not a one of us that, uh, as we've been following you, that haven't been surprised when some of the trials that have come our way, and then we read those words that we shouldn't be shocked and we shouldn't be surprised as we looked at Sunday morning, and perhaps it's because no one told us to expect it. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you will help us to look carefully at your word, that we will be wise, and that we will grow together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, in your Bibles tonight, or if you're following along in the notes this evening, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, just two verses of Scripture, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. You know, in a lot of versions of our Bible, the word is that Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you. And you can miss something very, very important in that passage. That's the second person plural you. Now, I'm from the South, so I just feel very free to use the word y'all because no one ever confuses what I mean by y'all. And when I say all y'all, y'all know that y'all are all included. But when you use our English language, you, or the second person plural you, sometimes it can be very confusing. But the Greek word there is very clear that it's each of you. It's not just Simon that Satan has asked to test and to sift. It's each of us. And each of us are going to go through some sifting times in our life. Sifting reveals what's in our hearts. Sifting is that that God allows to come to us, but then Jesus says something very remarkable there, and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus said, Satan has asked. Now, I know that there are some people that they don't believe in the devil, but they believe in Jesus. I know there are some people who maybe don't believe that Jesus is, is who he said he was, but they really believe in the things that Jesus taught. I talked about some of those people on Sunday morning. However, you need to know that Jesus believed in a very real devil, and that devil had asked to sift each of those disciples, and he wants to sift you, and he wants to sift me tonight. So it's very important that we hang on to that. And the second thing is, is that Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, you know, your faith could fail you. And that's a very serious warning to each of us. My faith can fail me. It doesn't mean that faith fails it means my faith can fail. I can become weak in my faith. I can fail to exercise my faith. And so it's very important that we look at this. But then he just says something so marvelous, and we're going to go through this tonight. He says, and when you have repented. Man, I'm so glad that God knows the past, the present, and the future. 
when you've repented. You see, we sift. Now, listen, my grandmother had a sifter. My wife has a sifter. I asked her if she had one today. I've never seen her use it, but she says she has one. But um, my grandmother, I can recall her on the farm down in South Georgia. I can recall my grandmother. She, she had all these things around her on the farm. We didn't have electricity, so she had an ice box. She had a pie safe. She had a beautiful, beautiful stocked pantry of, of vegetables and pickles and jams and jellies that she had canned. There was a smokehouse out there, and, and my grandmother would get, when she got flour, there'd be a lot of flour that come in, and it had this old-fashioned crank that she'd crank out the amount of flour she wanted. Then she'd put it in this huge yellow crockery bowl that my folks have, or, or my mom has. My dad's in heaven, but my mom has and she would take that yellow bowl and she would begin to sift that flour into the bowl. And she would take any of the lumps or stuff that she didn't want. She'd just toss it over into the trash and then she'd sift some more. And then she had this big lard can lid that was about the size of this tabletop here. At least that's how I remember it. She had this lard can lid and she would put what we call cat head biscuits on that thing, put them in the oven. And with homemade cane syrup, you just, that's about as close to heaven as you're going to get right there. But she was sifting. Now, notice what she was doing. She was sifting to get rid of what she didn't want. We sift today. There's some of you that you're school teachers in here. You sift through students by testing. You find out who's the weakest student. Uh, our colleges and universities today, the Wall Street Journal published their, their top colleges and universities, and I was going through that to see where my school ranked at and where the University of Georgia ranked at and where Lawrence Tech and Mercer and several schools. I just, and I did look at Michigan as well, and uh, I, just to see where they ranked at. And what they're doing with the testing is they're sifting through, the top colleges are sifting through to get the weaker students out of the way so they can attract the stronger students, the brighter students they can include in their program. You need to hear this tonight. When God allows sifting to come into our lives, he's not discarding anybody. He's saying the answer is to repent, to turn around and draw near to me. And then God will use us to strengthen. I am glad that with Christ, there are no losers. I am glad with Jesus there because all of the sifting would have certainly put me on the sideline. But in Christ, he is more than enough. And so we want to walk through this this evening. So if you look at the first point tonight, and you'll notice there, those of you that are here, if you're falling on the app, I give you a lot of room because there's some things you may just want to take notes upon tonight. Number one, it's important that we guard our faith, especially since our faith can fail. Guard your faith. I, we guard our homes. We guard the things that we, we have been entrusted to us. One of my nephews works for a cutting-edge company, and what they do is they help large corporations. He, he writes programs and things to help large corporations protect their data and to protect them from hackers. Uh, this summer, we saw each other, and I was saying, just kind of walk me through. And I remember him telling me, he said, Uncle Dennis, there is absolutely no way to 100% guarantee that you can protect and guard but we work every day at being sure we're doing the best that we can. And he's rapidly rising. His Twitter feed is pretty awesome. Rapidly rising in a field that he is specialized in. Well, we have to guard the faith that's been deposited in us. Look at the scriptures tonight. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. 
look at those three B's right there. Be on guard, be courageous, be strong. And how do you do that? By standing firm in the faith. Now, here's what you need to know. My heart's going to be sifted. God is going to allow things to come through my, my life. And the devil is God's devil. He belongs to God. You've got to remember, God created everything. We'll come to that in a few minutes in the message tonight if we have time. But like Martin Luther said, God's got the devil on a very short leash. And so there are times that God allows my heart to be sifted. But there are also times, and this is important that we look at, my faith can fail me. And here's what happened in this story, and I think this is so important. Notice if you go back to Luke 22 and read in the parallel gospels, this is very important. Peter is being questioned. Jesus is being questioned. Peter is on trial. Jesus is on trial. He's drawing those parallels to help us see. Peter fails, but Jesus succeeds. He wants us to see that. Peter is in the garden, and suddenly he's questioned, aren't you one of them? And even a little servant girl questions him, aren't you one of them? And he denies three times. You know the story. We look at it every year uh, during Passion Week and on Good Friday, how Peter denied Christ. And then their eyes connected. Sometimes on Sunday mornings when I'm preaching, and there will be a point, and all of a sudden, my eyes connect with somebody in the congregation, and I know they just got it. I know they just heard me. And afterwards, they'll say, I saw you connect with me. I saw that moment. There was that connection. Even though I'm preaching to a lot of people, there's still that moment of connection. And there in the crowd, Peter's eyes and Jesus' eyes met together. And here's what I want you to see tonight. Peter is charged with something which is true you're a disciple. Jesus is charged with something that's not true. You're going to tear down this temple. You're a vandal. You're a terrorist. You're a blasphemer. Peter was charged with something that was true. You're one of his disciples. And Peter said, no. Jesus was charged with something which was true. And Jesus didn't deny anything except he was not guilty of anything that they were doing to him. Now, here's the point I want you to see. There was a sifting taking place in Jesus. Nothing was found. There were no lumps. There was no flaws. There was no sin. The devil did his best, but a crucified Lord died for you and I, the innocent Lamb of God. Isn't that amazing? That is just amazing to me, especially when you look at those parallels there in the Scripture. And the other thing I want you to see tonight is that Peter deserves to be condemned, but he gets off the hook. Jesus doesn't deserve to be condemned, and Jesus is crucified on the cross. Peter goes free. Jesus goes to the cross. And what he says to Peter, and this chapter is so important, he says, Peter, you're going to fail. He knows. That's good news for you and me tonight. He knows the future, but he sees beyond our failures, and he says, when you repent, turn back and strengthen your brothers and sisters. That is one of the most amazing, I have preached on this several times at the church, it's one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. Because, listen, because Peter failed spectacularly, he became a spectacular leader. Because Peter failed in a big way, 
he had a big heart. Because Peter failed Christ, he was willing to be crucified for Christ upside down, according to all that we know of. You see, God sometimes takes the people that you and I think are never going to amount to anything, and God makes them the best leaders. God gives them the biggest hearts, and they are willing to do for Christ what other people aren't willing to do. And it's because they repented. There's a little town in South Georgia called Meggs, Georgia. I was preaching down there one Sunday morning years and years ago. Our children were still real small. And, and uh, I asked, where did your town get the name from? And the name of the town was named after the fr first president of the University of Georgia. And of course, since things began to click, Georgia's the University of Georgia is the oldest public university in the nation. And the, 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 the president of University of Georgia was the brother of a famous uh, lieutenant colonel that fought underneath George, uh, George Washington in the Revolutionary War. But what makes this story beautiful is when you read their biographies is his father, Colonel Meggs, Lieutenant Colonel Meggs, and the president of the University of Georgia, his father, Josiah Meggs, Ask a girl to marry him in Connecticut. Her Quaker father said no, he was not worthy of his daughter. And he left broke, Joseph Meggs left brokenhearted, but as he was riding away, he heard the girl he loved calling out to him, return, Joseph, please return, Joseph. And he turned around, rode back, make a long story short, they got married, they had children, and return Josiah Meggs was the name of the lieutenant colonel that fought with General George Washington. It was a heart of love that cried out, return Joseph, return Joseph. It's a heart of love that calls out to you and me tonight when we sin and when we fail. Run to the cross, run from the cross when you repent. And we've talked about this before. Repentance means to do a 180 degree turn. You turn and you fall. Isn't that a beautiful story? And it's funny how Georgia always seems to work its way into some of the messages up here. I apologize for that. Not really, but I do anyway. So the second question that I want to ask you then is, what has God called you to be? What has God called you to be? Brothers and sisters, consider what you were when God called you to be Christians. Read that with me. Brothers and sisters, consider what God called you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, consider what you were when God called you to be Christians. Now, when I was comparing the verse, I was going to use the New Living Translation, and it's a great translation, but I use this because he specifically says God calls you to be Christians. Now, I know that word has been cheapened in our culture. A lot of people who say they're Christians and they don't live like a Christian. But think of everything that word entails. The first believers that were called Christians were called Christians in Antioch because they were Christ-like. And so one of the things that we taught our children, we never asked them when they were younger, what do you want to do? We always asked them, what do you want to be? And we taught them the importance of being. I wanted them to become and do whatever they wanted to do in life, whatever that was. One of our sons is, is an officer in the army, and I'm just very proud of him. Uh, whatever they wanted to do in life, I was very proud of them. My daughter, whatever they want to do. 
But the most important thing is what kind of man, what kind of woman are you going to be? And long before you answer the do questions, you've got to answer the to be questions. In America, in parts of the world, we are always emphasizing what people are supposed to do. Josiah Meg's father-in-law wanted somebody wealthier, wanted somebody with more influence for his daughter's hand. Every, da every dad wants the best for his daughter. But he didn't see the potential that his wife saw. So the first president of the University of Georgia, one of our Revolutionary War heroes, came out of that marriage. So it's important that we understand being becomes doing. And God calls each of us to be passionate followers of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. God calls each of us to be passionate followers of Christ. He calls me to be a good steward of my health. Now, the reason I add this in tonight is because there's so much in the Bible about being good stewards of our health. But if I don't take care of myself, then I, I, how am I going to serve my family? How am I going to serve this church? How am I going to serve God? If I die, I no longer get to serve God on this planet. I, I, I cannot emphasize that. We're called to be good stewards of our health. Now, as I'm getting older, I'm finding out I have to exercise a whole lot more to get the same benefit out of 30 minutes doesn't do for me what 30 minutes used to do for me, okay? And so it's important as you get older, it's important that you keep those routines up. And it's important as you're younger to build those habits into your life so you no longer think about them anymore. It's being a good health of mental health, being a good steward of your physical health and your emotional health, but of your relational health with other people. God calls me to help make my spouse a success. So my calling in life is to make Becky successful. Her calling in life is to help me be successful. But I don't focus, on, and I really say this, and the Lord knows my heart, I don't focus on my success. I focus on how I can help Becky be all that she can be. Because the principle of stewardship in the Bible, do not miss this. Because we want to get all we can and can all we get. But the principle of stewardship in the Bible is totally opposite of this world. Give, and it will be given unto you. So as I give to Becky, as I give to our children, as I give to our church, as I give to our community, God causes abundance to be poured back in my life. It's one of the reasons that I rejoice in tithing so much because it's in tithing that I experience the financial blessings of God, the emotional blessings of God, the protection of my home against those things that would devour my home. It's in sharing my network with others who need to know somebody in my network I don't try to hide my resources or hide anything. You want to share. And then he calls me to disciple and encourage our children. You know, I, I take it very personally to disciple my children. Now, notice that word disciple. It implies discipline, but it implies instruction as well. And that word disciple is really not about punishment. That's a, that's a message for another time. If you discipline your children well, you won't have to punish your children often. If you discipline your children well, if you teach them, instruct them, coach them, learn to reward them like God rewards you. I just talked about the rewards of stewardship. And I know a lot of people get started in stewardship 
because they want to be rewarded. My prayer is then that they grow in stewardship because they love God. We give because we love him. We don't give expecting to get something back. We do, but that's not why we give. We want to grow where we give because we love. If you discipline your children, if you disciple your children, if you discipline and instruct them, help them see the rewards and reward them when you catch them doing something right, you'll find you'll have to punish children a lot less often. And then finally, he calls me to be a, and I left that intentionally blank. For me, he called me to be a pastor. That's my calling in life. That's what God wanted me to do. So what is God called? Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a carpenter. Maybe it's a doctor or a nurse. Maybe it's uh, owning your own business. I could go down the list. But what has God called you to be? So that leads to the next question. What did God call you to do? What did God call you to do? Now, God calls us to be Christians. We looked at that, passionate followers of Christ. But God also calls us to do something. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So circle that tonight in your outline, or if you're using the app, highlight it or something. God called you to do good. Do good work and do good works. Okay, write that down. Do good work and do good works. I want to be the best preacher, best pastor I possibly can. Now, I'd make a huge mistake if I started comparing myself to other people. That's not what God has called me to do. The Bible says we're foolish if we do that. God has given me certain skills. So what are my skills? It's important since I'm young that I help my children discover their skills. It's important that when I'm young that I discover my skills and I learn to hone them. Once I knew, once I knew that God had called me to the ministry, I gave up my plans of pursuing everything else. I, wanted to st- I had a full scholarship to the University of Georgia. I had a stipend to go to school on. I had a travel expense to go to school on. I had a really nice package to go to the University of Georgia. I wanted to study law and raise cattle. That was my dream in life. That's what all I talked about. Once I did, knew what God had called me to do, then I began to realize I had to have certain skill sets. Now, here's something important. I don't think I've ever even shared this here at the church. But not long after I announced that I was called to the ministry, and those of you that know me, you know I was very sick when I was younger, I was discouraged by my school counselor, by my librarian, librarian, my teachers. I was discouraged by members of our congregation that I grew up in. And one of my preacher heroes, that he's in heaven now, but one of my heroes, he came to me and he says, listen, Dennis, I think this is just emotional. There's no way God has called you. You don't have the health. You don't have the diaphragm. You don't have the ability to communicate. And I can take you, in our church, we had this big table where they had all the tithing envelopes and things like that and the Pentecostal evangels and the hymn books, you know, all that stuff was there. And, you know, the the ushers would hand all that stuff out for every service. It was right there at that table at two double doors where he stopped me and he loved me. He wasn't trying to be mean to me. He just didn't want, everybody thought I should stick with my plan. Go to the University of Georgia, study law, and raise cattle if, if God gave me the health to do that. There was one person in our church who really got behind me. Even my pastor told me years later, he said, Dennis, I really, I really didn't think you could make it. I really didn't think you had what it took. 
And he apologized for not really getting behind me and encouraging me. And I was sitting in his home in Montgomery, Alabama when he shared that with me. Here's the deal. When God calls you, he doesn't make mistakes. And when you know that God's called, it doesn't matter how many people tell you you can't. Now, you, what I did from that point on was I started developing every skill I knew I needed to develop. And it's important that you and I keep developing our skills. The day may come when I'm no longer to do what I do now with the stamina that I have. But when that day comes, I'm already prepared for when that day comes because I'm developing skills that I can keep writing and keep communicating because I want to leave something behind for the generation that follows. Do you follow me? Develop your skills because you don't know what's coming down the road. The second thing is, what are your talents? What are the talents that God is giving you to do? And then finally, and this is most important, and I'm running out of time here tonight, what are your spiritual gifts? What are your spiritual gifts? And boy, you can see this unfold in the life of Peter. Peter had relied upon his skill as a fisherman. Peter had relied upon his skill, you know, with uh, being someone that, it's, he was obviously a leader, but he was obviously someone that, let's just face it, he wasn't a very spiritual man. He wasn't a very, he wasn't a man committed to prayer until after the day of Pentecost. God did something in Peter's life. And when God baptized him in the Holy Spirit, when he, when that day that happened, all of those believers received the presence of the Holy Spirit, not just living in them, but immersed into the Holy Spirit. You and I have that experience. And God deposited spiritual gifts in him. And Peter went to work on that. He, made, he still made some errors. The Apostle Paul had to rebuke him one time. But because he had a big heart, he learned from his failure. He kept following the Lord. Now, we have a class here to help you with this, and it's called Class 301. You've got to go through 101, which is Discovering Woodland, uh, 201, which is Discovering uh, Spiritual Maturity, and then 301, and we'd love to help you with that. For God to be strong in me, then, I must admit my weaknesses. And I think this is where Peter found his beginning. Peter said to the Lord, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner. This is when God first called him. This is when Jesus first called him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 tonight. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it's awfully hard to admit our weaknesses. It's awfully hard to come to God sometime with the same weakness over and over. I preached a message here one time when I've had to repent a dozen times. And after the service that morning, one of the men met me right here, and he said, can I talk to you when you're finished greeting everybody? I said, sure. He said, Pastor, he said, it's just like you hit me right between the eyes. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've quit coming to God to say I'm sorry because I just thought God got tired of hearing my confession and my repentance. And he said, when you said this morning, every time you sin, you run back to the cross, you don't run from the cross. If Jesus said, forgive your brother 70 times seven, how much more is God willing to forgive you and me? 
And that number 70 times 7, that's like saying to infinity. That's the, the number 70 and 7. Those are powerful numbers. So admit where you're weak to God. Admit where you're weak to your brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you do that? Humble myself. The scripture is very clear. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us in due time. Now, here's the thing about sifting. When you go through a sifting process, you have to admit where you're weak. Remember what I said? Colleges and universities, they're sifting because they want to discard the weak. When God is sifting us, when God allows us to be sifted, he's not trying to get rid of us. He's trying to be strong in us. Paul says, when I am weak, he's strong in me. So where I'm weakest in my life is where, I, is where God manifests his greatest strength in me. The areas where I'm strong, if I'm not careful, I will tend to rely on that strength more than I rely on God. And that's why I believe that sometimes God leaves some of us with some battles or some thorns in the flesh like the Apostle Paul experienced. God leaves us with these things because we know we have to depend upon the Lord. And there are things in my life that remind me every single day, my strength comes from the Lord, my help comes from the Lord, my hope is in the Lord. It's that sifting process. The second thing is, is then discipline myself. I used health as an example. One of the reasons I exercise so much is because I know what it means not to have health. And I know what it means to have health. And I know if I'm going to keep that health, especially as I get older, I've got to be extremely disciplined. And there's a weakness in my life. And that is fried foods, just anything fried, fried pies, fried chicken, fried cornbread is so much better than baked cornbread. If you fry it, I'll try it. It doesn't matter if it's a crawfish or an oyster. I'm going to, if you fry it, I'm going to eat it. Now, here's the deal. I could eat that every day of my life and be as happy as a pig in mud. But I have to discipline myself to what I'm going. You just have to do that, and God will give you strength. And then finally, I love this, encourage myself in the Lord. I, I don't have time tonight. I'm going to wrap it up right here so we can talk. Uh, one time, David went through a difficult time in his life. And I have a, another story I want to tell you right here. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'll never forget reading that. We lived in Macon, Georgia. We were going through a, a challenging time in ministry. And I was just, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. And there were no real answers from anybody that I talked to, from our, from our leadership in the state and, and in the church. And, and I just read that that morning, and I got on my knees by an end table at the end of our sofa beside our fireplace, and I got on my knees, and I just said, Lord, David encouraged himself. I'm, I'm going to do the best I know how to do this. And I lifted my hands on my knees. I just began to sing to the Lord. I began to worship him. I reminded myself of who God was. And I'm not a mystic, but that day, God just poured out his spirit of grace upon me. And I rose from my knees a different man, and I knew that the church was going to make it. I knew the church was going to thrive. I knew there was going to be a breakthrough. Now, that doesn't mean it happened overnight. It happened. It's called the making miracle. But the deal is, 
Sometimes you just have to go to the Lord to encourage yourself. Now, I have friends in here. I have board members in here. They can't do that for me. And I can't do that for you. That's what we have to do. And it's called a sacrifice of praise. It's called the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of our lips. I believe the King, King James Version says at one point it's the calves of our lips using that symbolic sacrificial language. We bring that sacrifice of praise to God. Remember the principle of giving God gifts to us. And what came out of the bottom of my grandmother's sifter was the finest flower that when she finished with it, brought forth the best buttered biscuits with butter she made and cane syrup my father had made. And we sat down and we enjoyed. I want you to know God is preparing a feast through you for others. We're going to pick up with this again next Wednesday night. There's so much more I want to share with you about this sifting process. But know this. When you're going through pressure to conform, when you're going through pressure to compromise, when you feel like you can't stand the pulling any longer, if you will let God, he will pull you through. He's not sifting you to throw you to the side. He's sifting you to make you pure and holy and stronger and sweeter than ever before. Let's pray. I love you so much, my dear Lord, and I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. And God, whenever we are tried, may we be found faithful like you were. But if our faith fails, Lord, God, it's not that faith has failed or you have failed, but if we fail, help us not to run from the cross, but run to the cross. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm sorry I went a little bit over, but if you've got a question, just shoot it over here. I'm going to check Facebook here in just a second and uh, let us know. We'd, I'd, I'll try to address it with you privately later, okay? God bless. Good night.